Good morning. Great to be with you all again. And uh, Merry Christmas to you as we begin this season in a very appropriate way, I think, with that reading that we just read. But let me introduce myself. I'm Rob Sweep. I'm the lead pastor here at Fellowship and, and one of the two teaching pastors along with Lloyd Chadrack. If you're new to Fellowship, we want to welcome you. Glad that you're here this morning. We want to remind you that we want to get to know you when you're ready to get to know us and, and take a, a step with our church. We, we always want people to know how to get connected here at Fellowship. The best way to do that is to come to our Intro to Fellowship class, which is the first Sunday of every month. So we're right here near the end of November. Next Sunday is the first Sunday of December. So it's the perfect time for you to get connected at Fellowship. You can learn more at that website on the bottom of the screen. We would love to see you there at that class next week. I also want to remind us as a body, part of our worship is giving. We open up our hands to what God has placed in it, and then those gifts are used here and around the world as we're going to talk about this morning, for the spread of the gospel. So we want to encourage you to make giving part of your worship. Uh, you can do that at that website, or you can text that number as well. Uh, and we continue our worship service now by studying God's word and hearing him speak to us through his word. And this morning, we have a great privilege to have one of our global partners with us. So I'm going to spend a few minutes at the beginning of the message just introducing our theme for the Advent season which is the gospel of Advent. And then I'm going to invite Dr. Peter Mitskovich from Russia to join us and share with us today. So you will be glad that you came this morning. And I hope you already are, but you certainly will after hearing from Peter. Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. This is where I want to begin this introduction this morning. Let me give you just a little bit of context for this series. Again, the title of the series that will be in the next several weeks leading up to Christmas is The Gospel of Advent. That title has two words in it that both need a little bit of definition. Gospel, as you may know, means good news. Advent, as you may know, means arrival or, or the coming. And specifically, the arrival of an important person or an pers important event or an important thing. So the gospel of Advent is, is literally the good news of the arrival. And of course, in the context that we're talking about, whose arrival are we talking about? Always the right answer, Jesus, right? Which arrival of Jesus are we talking about? This is a little bit of a trick question. Which arrival of Jesus does Advent uh, talk about? First and second, first and second. Traditionally, the Advent season is intended to remind us both of his first Advent, his first arrival 2,000 years ago, and anticipate his second Advent his second arrival, his second coming. So we look back and we look ahead. That, that's the Advent season that we are in. So the good news, the gospel of the arrival of Jesus. And I want you to imagine a time in your life when you needed good news. It probably imagine's the wrong word. For most of us in the room, it's remember, not imagine. Remember a time in your life when you needed good news. Maybe you were sick and you're waiting to hear something from the doctor. Maybe a loved one was sick. Uh, maybe you were in a very difficult financial situation. Maybe a difficult relational situation. Maybe you've been praying for something for a long time. Lord, would you answer this prayer? You're waiting. You're anticipating good news. Isaiah 40 takes us back to a time in Israel's history when they desperately needed good news. 
Let me set the historical context. Isaiah, the prophet, was writing at the time of King Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of the very last kings of the southern kingdom of Judah. And the capital city, Jerusalem, was going to be under siege before long. The Babylonians were going to come in and were going to wipe out the southern kingdom of of Judah. The northern kingdom, Israel, was long gone. The the Assyrians had conquered Israel and the, the, the northern tribes had essentially just disappeared. And there was now just a small remnant left uh, in the land, in the southern kingdom, in these two tribes. And it, the writing was on the wall. They knew, again, through the prophet Isaiah, who prophesied that they were going to be exiled. There was going to be a period of time that they were going to be forced out of their land and Jerusalem was going to be attacked and they were going to be taken into captivity and Jerusalem was going to be burned. And, and Isaiah prophesied about that, but then he also prophesied about hope that was to come. And in in this particular portion of Isaiah, he's looking past the devastation. He's looking past the 70 years of exile that, that was about to come. And he was looking to a future time. And this is a people who needed to hear the good news that Isaiah was prophesying. Let's now read our text, Isaiah 41 to 5. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, And cry to her that her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the living word of God for us today. In our day and time and and maybe in our particular place in the world, uh, we tend to take good roads for granted. Although, you know, in the wintertime, as temperatures get colder, you start seeing the potholes and things, and maybe we don't take the good roads for granted as much. But by and large, we live in a time and we live in a place where we take good roads for granted. We can get on a superhighway, you know, get on an interstate, and we can travel between cities with with great speed. Uh, When this text was written, of course, that was not the case. And so if you were in a town or a city like Jerusalem uh, and you were expecting a visit from someone very important, maybe a dignitary, a foreign dignitary visiting, or maybe even your own king, you know, coming back from from being away for a period of time, you had to do some road work. You had to make sure that there was level ground, that there was a path so that the king or the dignitary and his entourage could come and arrive. That's the imagery that Isaiah is using when he talks here about him making straight in the desert a highway a path. And then he goes on in verse four to to say, every valley is going to be lifted up and every mountain made low. What do you do when when you have to do road work is you grade the the terrain, right? The the hills, you got to flatten them. If if there's a low part, you got to put in the fill dirt to bring it up because you want the road to be as straight as possible. That's the image that's being given. What's interesting about this particular text is is Isaiah is saying all this in in quite hyperbole in a way. Every mountain lifted, every, or sorry, every valley lifted, every mountain made low, because who's coming? Not just a king, not just a human king, 
God himself. Look, 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 look again in the end of verse three. It says, make straight in the desert a highway for God. So it's not just an important person, a president of a nation, a, a foreign dignitary, or even a king. It is the king of kings. God himself is coming. Every valley should be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. Of course, you know, spiritually speaking, the, the symbolism here of, of building a highway in the desert is, is repentance. There's some areas in Israel's life and, and collectively as a nation that the pride of the nation, the, the, the hilltops or the mountains of pride of the nation needed to be humbled, needed to be laid low. There were some low points, some, some idol worship, some uh, areas of sin in the nation, some valleys, so to speak, that needed to be lifted up to prepare this highway. So Isaiah is using this metaphor that would have been familiar to the people of, of preparing a road for the arrival of someone important. He's using it in hyperbole to say that we, all of us, have to lower the mountains, have to raise the valleys because God himself is coming. And what will the arrival of God himself mean? Go back to verse one. Comfort, comfort, my people. Tenderness. Your time of warfare which, by the way, hadn't even fully even started yet. But Isaiah, again, is looking past that. He's anticipating a time where that time of warfare is going to end and the iniquity will be pardoned. And what that means for the people, the good news, the, the, the gospel of the advent of God himself coming, the advent of Jesus Christ, means comfort, comfort. My people, says your God, tenderness. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem in verse now, with that image in mind and, and that prophecy in mind, which, by the way, Isaiah was, was prophesying about 700 years prior to the arrival of Jesus, you know, historically, the Babylonians would come in and, and they, would, they would conquer Jerusalem, they would exile the people, and 70 years later, a remnant would return and begin to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And then Ezra would lead some to come and rebuild the temple, and then there'd be a period of several hundred years of, of silence and all this waiting, 700 years in total from Isaiah's prophecy to the actual arrival of this God who is coming. And he came in a way, of course, that few expected. It wasn't a big entourage marching into Jerusalem. It, it was the birth of a child who looked just like any other child. Can you imagine? This is the great arrival that the herald Isaiah was announcing this is what we should be getting ready for is the, the birth of a, of a baby to a poor family. Well, John puts it in perspective. Turn down to John chapter one. I'll, I'll finish uh, here in this text. And of course, John's gospel is where we've been over a year now as our study. And we're pausing John's gospel to be in our Advent season and we'll pick it up after Advent. But in John chapter one, let me just remind you what John had written. Of course, this is looking backward on the Advent or the arrival of Jesus just after Jesus life, uh, in the first century, John is writing these words. John says in John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now look at verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Do you remember how Isaiah prophesied? Prophesied, everyone would see the glory of God when, when, when God arrives, you know? Now, John is saying we have. We've seen his glory. Glory 
as of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. Now look at verse 15. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And I won't read this verse, but if you go down to verse 23, John says, I'm the one Isaiah that was, was talking about, proclaiming, make ready, make way the highway for God. That, that, that was pointing to me, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. That's John's role. Back to our text, look at verse 16. For from his fullness, Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So what John is doing here is, is he's stitching together the, the prophecies from Isaiah and, and a lot of other the story. He's actually going all the way back to Genesis and the words he's choosing. He's stitching together the whole story of the Old Testament. And he's saying, the one we've been waiting for, the one that Isaiah told us to prepare for, to, to repent and get ready for, has come. And he has come to reveal the glory of God. And the good news of his arrival, the gospel of Advent, means that God can be known. No one's ever seen God, but he revealed him to us. God made himself known to us in a way that we could see and hear and touch and understand as human beings. Jesus came as a human being, fully human, fully God, so God could be known. Could there be greater news? Think about the area of your life where you need comfort, where you need good news. If I told you God can be known and wants to be known and that's the gospel of Advent. If I told you even more than that, it turns out that the whole story of the gospel means it was God who did the highway, God who lifted up the valleys and lowered the mountains. It was God who made a way so that humans could know him. And the arrival of Jesus allows you and me to be in relationship with our creator through faith in Jesus Christ. You all, like, we're sort of dulled to the amazing news that this is. We sing about it every week. We talk about it every week, every Christmas. We talk, you know, joy to the world, the Lord has come. We, we lose the power of it. Let's, let's not. Let's pray that we won't. This is the good news. The arrival of Jesus, he has come and he will come again. Tim Keller, who passed away this year, one of my favorite sayings that he used to say a good bit is, he says, Christianity is good news, not good advice. And what he meant by that is, if you think about all the other world religions, they're essentially, if you boil them down, they're advice. How to have peace in your life, how to, how to, how to reach you know, an, an inner peace area, or how to, how to do the right things to get to God, or to make God pleased with you. Christianity is not that. Christianity is news. God came to us. God leveled the playing field. God brought the proud low and the humble up to clear a path through faith so that we could know our King of Kings. That's the good news. That's the gospel. It's news that we must believe and we must proclaim. So for some of you in the room this morning, the call to you is faith. The call is to believe the news, believe the good news, the gospel of Advent. For many of us in the room, the call is to proclaim. 
If you've already believed, if you've already received the good news yourself, now we're called to be heralds. We're called to be like Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Comfort, comfort, my people. Good news, good news, gospel. We're called to be like John the Baptist. We're called to be proclaimers like John. One of my favorite things about this time of year literally is global Christmas here at Fellowship. There's a lot of things I love about our church uh, and, and things about fellowship that, that honestly have been a huge blessing to my family. This is absolutely at the top of my list. Global Christmas every year is a time where we turn our attention to what God is doing around the world. Yes, here in our area, because we have some local partners as well, but primarily around the world through our global partners. We have about 10 partners that we've developed relationships with over a long period of time at Fellowship. And in this season, we celebrate what we call Global Christmas, and we do three things during this time of year. Number one, we learn. We learn about the gospel and, and the proclamation of the gospel all around the world and how God is active in, in places far away from Franklin, Tennessee. Number two, we pray. We pray for these global partners, and we pray for us that, that the gospel would continue to be on the move and proclaimed in our place and in, in their places as well all over. And then the third thing we do is give. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that at the end of the service. But what I'm excited about this morning is for you to get to know one of our global partners, Dr. Peter Mitskovich, who has come here from Russia. So I want to invite Dr. Mitskovich to the stage and us to give him a welcome. Thank you. Shalom, shalom. Thank you. Peace and grace to you. Thank you. We are so excited to have you here. And and I think the first thing that I want to do, uh, this is your first time at this campus. It is true. Wonderful campus. Good teacher. (laughs) And And wonderful, wonderful. And hey, I have to tell you all this. He thought it was so funny that we had earplugs at the door. (laughs) That was your big takeaway from this morning was the earplugs. I, I think, you know, why people have to get... Earplugs, you have to hear. Good news. <laughs> Take the earplugs out for the proclamation of the gospel, is I think what you're saying. <laughs> There's a lot I could say there. I'm not going to say anything else. All right. Um, well, you're with us here. You've come a very long distance. We're so excited that you're here, and we want to get to know you. That's the primary purpose of today. We want to get to know you. We want to get to know the ministry of the gospel in Russia and how we can be praying for you. So let's just start with you. Tell us a little bit about you, your story, where, you're, where you grew up, how you came to know Jesus. Uh, dear friends, I am blessed. I am really blessed. I am blessed to be in the hands of the Lord. I was born in Russia uh, in the last century. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I... What a blessing, first blessing what I have. I was born in the Christian family. My grandfather moved to Russia as a missionary from Germany. Married Russian girl. But he was like John the Baptist, missionary. Witness about his love, his, his Lord. He was in prison three times uh, for the, his faith. He... He was one of the leaders of the church. So I grew up and listened from the childhood the stories about Christ, about Bible. My parents also are believers. 
so from the childhood, I was, uh, I was aware about the stories about David, Daniel, Joseph, etc. And as a child, mother taught me and my sister to pray. What is amazing? Lord answer prayers, especially prayers of children. But when I started to go to the school, step by step everything changed. Influence of teachers, influence of the culture, influence of my friends in the school. So really, I, I will say I lost my faith and I started to think about my parents. The, the praise, nothing is just air. All of that just tradition and who is going to the church? Only old babushkas, we call old ladies. <laughs> uh, in the same time, uh, you know, uh, several influences have been there. Influence of the Bible studies. In that time, in Soviet time, we did not have Bibles. And if you don't have Bible, a lot of influence, by the way, it's radio. How people will hear the good news? Through the radio. In many homes, people turn the shortwave radio and listen different voices, not just propaganda internal. Mm -hmm. And one of the great news have been, you know, the message on the radio. My mother loved it, so everybody have to sit and listen. <laughs> Obey your mothers. Uh, but influence when... In the church, and uh, churches have been closed in that time. But Christian parents usually will have home Bible studies. So several families will gather children together and teach about Bible. Great influence. And maybe second point in my life was when I was a teenager. I came to my grandfather's home, who was a minister. We had dinner, and after dinner he asked me several questions. Question number one. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yes. I heard from, about him from childhood. Uh, did you read the Bible? I know the Bible. Okay. And he asked me third question. But do the Christ or Jesus is the Lord of your life? And I cannot answer this question. I know about Christ about Christianity. I love it. He said, this is the thing you have to decide. Let's kneel down, and if you want, you can pray, so Lord will become Lord of your life. So we kneel down, and I ask my Lord really to lead me, and I want to be obedient to him. Not just know about him, but to know him. Next stage, I will say it's very important in Russia. You know, you can be a believer, and many secret believers, but it's very important public announcement, I'm a believer. Usually it's happened during the baptism. So before you baptize, you, you announce in front of the congregation about your testimony. And before you will be tested, you have to provide two guys or somebody who will witness that you're a believer. And you will be on probation. After that, you will meet with the elders, and after that, you will tell your story to the congregation. And you will say, I'm a believer. I want to follow Christ. So in second year of the medical school, I was baptized. And after that, Lord, 
kind of helped me to build my ministry, etc. Enjoy that, still. Enjoy that. So let Christ be Lord of our life. Not just to know about him, not just study the Bible, but to know him personally. Very important. So uh, you said you were in medical school when you were baptized. It is correct. And, and I, I know now you're not a practicing doctor because I know what you do, which I'm going to ask you about in a minute. So how, how did you go from medical school to ministry? Uh, I did love medicine, by the way. I finished medical school, became a physician, did work 10 years in different things, kind of hospitals and especially in the emergency room service. And uh, enjoy that very much. But Lord also called me, you know, to do the ministry. We planted a small church in suburb of Moscow, uh, and uh, I became active in the church. And one of the days of, I think, end of 80s, uh, Lord really <clears throat> opened new door when Bibles have been brought to Russia where it was illegal. So Gideon's really first sent millions or thousands first Bibles into Russia before it was smuggled, you know, really rare opportunities to have Bibles. So when I, be, I'm, I became president of the first camp in Moscow and we started distributions. Mm, this is a candy. <laughs> when you have Bible and people don't have it, it's really hunger and desire, you know. So I stepped in, in this ministry not just local church, and we went to the different hospitals, to the, I'm a physician, so it's naturally to go to the hospitals, to different schools, to the police stations. Let's tell you the story about police station. You know, we went to one of the police stations uh, with a Guinean Bible, and it was still Soviet time, so brought their Bible, policeman said, what? Let's take you and one my, my friend to the questionnaire room. Okay, and we have been interrogated. So they, they called another officer and he said, oh, the Bible. <laughs> Looks like it's not political. Right now it's Gorbachev time. Okay, let's ask uh, the Communist Bureau what they will think about that. What do you believe? What are you doing? Okay, we, generally we, we, we will... We are ready to give you permit to distribute the Bibles. But if you get the permission from the top, from Ministry of Internal Affairs, okay, we're just local police station. So, okay, we prayed, decided to check it out. Went to the Minister of Internal Affairs, met with one general, told him the story, gave him a Bible and said, you know, we would like to give to all the policemen in Moscow, Bibles. He checked, looked. He said, okay, let's check you out on our special meeting. So I remember Monday morning, it was a kind of executive meeting of the top leaders uh, in Moscow. Uh, they invited, gave us just five minutes. That led to the 20 minutes. We gave Bibles away. We started and said, you know, gentlemen, this is holy book this is the Bible. We want for everybody in Russia to know about God and Christ. Suddenly one of the senior generals with the white hair stood up and said, I would like to receive this book while I'm standing. It's honor to me. 
he stood up, got the Bible. We got the permission to, to give the Bibles away in, in the police stations. But we had some challenges, like, you know, no transportation, uh, heavy boxes of the Bibles. So what to do? We went back to this general and said, can you help us? And he said, okay. He gave his black limousine. We put the Bibles in and went to the local police stations. Okay, but I can tell some more stories. The classic questions what will happen on these meetings in the 90s. People will get the Bibles, but they will ask questions. Like I remember one major after this kind of uh, distribution. You just give Bibles away. People never had that. They will ask several questions. How to pray? We'll open the Bible tell, okay, Matthew 6. Okay, let's, you can find there in other verses how you can pray. Psalms, one of the prayers, what you can repeat. Uh, what we will do if, and so many, many other questions, hundreds of questions. And generally the question will be, can you send somebody who will teach us how to pray? How to understand this book, this Bible? Because they will start to read from Matthew chapter 1. Okay, Abraham gave birth to the Jacob. We don't understand how man can give birth to the man. <laughs> and many others. So they really, it's a different world, you know. So, and so really they need an interpreter, you know. They need a person who will teach and understand. So this is the reason why when Lodo opened the door, I went to the seminary to hear this need. We need not just spread the gospel. We need churches who will help people to grow spiritually. So they will help others without pastors, without churches. Very difficult. It's possible, but difficult. So this, this is the reason why I'm involved in, with Moscow Theological Seminary. Okay, okay. In local church. That, that's, mm. that's what I want to talk about next. I love these stories, by the way. So these stories, you didn't tell these the first service. I'm glad you're telling them these. I will service. tell some more next time. <laughs> next time. Okay. <laughs> Stick around. You've different stories each service. Um, so, so fast forward. First of all, did y'all catch what he was just saying? So this was the, the very brief window in, in the time where the Bibles were able to be distributed in the Soviet Union, and, and Peter was in the heart of that. I, I just think that's very exciting. What, oh, a, what an exciting time. And praise God that God put you there for that time. The, the, the second thing that I didn't know was how God used the radio ministry when you were young through the shortwave radio mm -hmm. was one of the few ways that the gospel was, was being heard. And then later on, I know some of your story. You, you, got to, you, you have radio as a big part of your ministry it is. later on as well. Um, he he was, was the voice of uh, Dr. Charles Swindoll and insight for living in Russia and in many other European countries. Uh, so how, how nice of God to kind of put that as part of your story from the beginning. Okay, but tell us now about Mos Moscow Theological Seminary. You're the president. Tell us about the school, how large it is, what the purpose and the mission is. 30 years ago, Lord blessed to start the Moscow Theological Seminary, 93 in the last century. Uh, and right now we are blessed. It was started with the 12 students. Right now we have 900 whom we see. But by the way, it's Moscow Theological Seminary in the present time. It's just not just Moscow campus. Uh, Russia is 11 time zone country. So the vision was to have learning centers in every time zone. 
So we do have right now 10 learning centers. So this is a lot of different kind of things. And we live in the 21st century, so right now we are learning to make distant education things. And we have about 600 students, and we call this in cloud, we don't see them. They're somewhere <laughs> in digital world. Uh, very important to have personal connection, we are really thinking. Like here, you know, we can pray for each other, but important to ask questions, to touch, and usually very important to have formal education and informal education. Uh, this mentorship, discipleship, etc. Yeah. So you, you all are training Christian pastors and ministers and counselors, and then they're going to places all over Russia. They do. They're part of the ministry. They're doing that, and this is a great blessing for us yeah. to have this opportunity right now. What, what is the spiritual climate in Russia? Good question. Uh, I will put several words. In the current situation, I will put this word first. Confusion, depression, searching for answers, unclear future and direction, so people really need to find their comfort, peace, some understanding why we do live, what the purpose of life, what we are doing, uh, economical struggles, all of that, you know, some other things related to the conflicts, pain, suffering, and the beauty where you, where you can find the joy, only, or in comfort and peace in God. So this is the beauty, what we can do the ministry through the church to proclaim the gospel. Mm. And why we need churches, why we need leaders, why we are so grateful to you for your prayers around the world. You are praying for global church, for the church that exists in many other countries, different situations everywhere. And we are right now praying for you, for Israel, for Armenia, for Ukraine, for ourselves. It's just reality. As you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking about Isaiah 40, verse 1. The message that God gave to the prophet Isaiah was, say to the people, comfort, comfort, because good news is here. Amen. And then I hear you describing the situation in Russia. And I think we would say, in different ways, we also are living in a time and place that we need the same message comfort. It looks like we live in this secular world, kind of post-Christian. Russia is post-atheistic country, kind of. It's atheism is not the first role. It's kind of, the Russians probably will say we are Russian Orthodox Church uh, people, but in the same time it's a lot of Islamic influence, etc. Uh, may the Lord give us grace to really to ask spiritual questions, because person has not just body, whom we have to take care but about our soul. Mm. So, uh, and we live in a really global world. Mm. We are interdependent. Why we really pray for the United States also. Mm. For the West to repent, I'm sorry. <laughs> we need it. Yes, yes. 
I think, uh, church, as I'm just sitting here reflecting in real time, what I'm feeling right now is what, how good it is that God's given us a partner who is training proclaimers of the gospel in Russia in this moment in time. And, and the kinship that I feel because it's the same, same job he's given all of us all over the world so for true. all these 2,000 years. But I'm so glad you're there. And I'm so glad those students are there. And so we want to pray for you. We want to pray for the school. We want to pray for the students. We want to pray for your country. How can we pray? Okay. I will tell you before, answer the question, how to pray for you. <laughs> that was a trick. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you for asking that. Um, uh, pray for us because... In, in similar yet different ways, we also are in a time and place in our country where we need comfort and mm. repentance. Mm. And, and so I'll use a phrase you used in the last service. Pray that the church would be the church. Mm-hmm. Pray that, that, that we would not just say we believe, but we would live mm. and we would embody the faith and it would come to life through us. That's how I'd want you to pray for us. Please pray for Russia. Uh, probably we have to follow this teaching of Paul, who is teaching, pray for all the world, for all the people, and for the kings, and, but pray, because there's only one mediator between God and man. So everybody will hear the good news of Jesus Christ, not advice. He will hear the message. You have to take care of your soul. What will be with your soul, with the spiritual world? Not just believe in this material world, but spiritual world, and to find the truth and light in this world. So this is a really very important prayer for, I will say for all the world, but especially in Russia. So churches and Christians, believers will be light in the dark world. To be evangelist, to have wisdom, and to be faithful in this context where we are. Not easy. So, so I'm gonna summarize that, just to kind of give us some hooks to remember this. Light and darkness, Wisdom, faithfulness. Perseverance. It's perseverance. These are things we'll pray for, and, and more. And more. I, before, before I pray for you, tell us about your family so we can pray for them as well. Uh, family is the, one of the blessings what I have. I have wife. Her name is Tatiana. And that's, Lord, a good, that's a good Russian name. It's yeah. not... It's, Wonderful name, Tatiana. Pray for her. And Lord gave us five biological children. Elijah, Paul, Mary, Timothy, and Elizabeth, Lisa. And we will say we have three adopted children. Alla, Justin, and we have uh, Olya, Olga. It means if my sons marry others, they became Right now, Mitskeviches, they're in my family. Mm. We adopt them. And the Lord gave us nine grandchildren. Wonderful. <laughs> I will not name them, Ted. Don't. <laughs> nine grandchildren, and maybe more to come someday. Who knows? Step by step. <laughs> well, church, let's bow our heads. And, and I'm going I'm to put my arm around our brother, Peter Mitskevich, and we're going to pray for him and his, and his ministry and his, and his country. And then, uh, Peter, I'd love for you to pray for us. And would you pray in Russian? I will I, I love to hear you speak Russian. It's a beautiful language, and it would be meaningful to us. And uh, pray, pray for us in Russian, and tell us what you prayed. 
I will translate. pray in Russian and I will translate some. It's because it's secret language. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good enough. Father, it is an honor to be here with Peter. We're grateful for him. We're grateful for the story of the, the way that you turned his heart toward you. And we're grateful for the ministry that you have placed into his hands in Russia. Thank you for putting him there. Thank you for Moscow Theological Seminary. Thank you for the good work that they're doing. I pray for those students that as they're learning about the Bible, as they're being equipped to be ministers, you would strengthen their faith and strengthen their heart. We pray for the people of Russia, uh, that they would find light in darkness. We pray, Father, they would find hope. And, and I pray that just as we need prayer for this, that they need prayer as well, that they would turn their attention toward spiritual things, yes. not just material things, that you would um, see fit to continue the proclamation of this good news of Jesus and allow, give them ears to hear. And would you allow Peter and the students there to continue to be faithful in their proclamation of the gospel, give them wisdom and give them perseverance. And we pray also for Peter's family, for his wife, Tatiana, for his children, for his grandchildren. Would you encourage them? Would you give them peace? And would you allow them as a family to have a good season of Advent together? And, and would you allow your love to be known by them to greater depths? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. My dear Heavenly Father, so grateful for your grace and mercy in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, your Son. Grateful for work of the Holy Spirit, for the good news, for the Bible you gave us. Мой дорогой Господь, благодарю Тебя за милость Твою. Молю Тебя, чтобы Ты даровал духовное пробуждение здесь. Прошу Тебя о пробуждении в России, чтобы каждый услышал Евангелие. Молю Тебя о всем мире, включая Соединенные Штаты. Молю Тебя об Украине, об Израиле, об Армении, об Азербайджане, о странах, которые не слышат Евангелие Господи, используя каждого из нас. Мой Heavenly Father, dear Lord, so grateful for your love. I ask your mercy to use all of us as instruments in your hands to enjoy you, to love you, to be faithful and understand your will and to be in your will and fulfill your will. May your will be done in our life. I ask in your name. Amen.